Welcome to Dollars to Donuts with Steve Portugal. Thanks for listening to Dollars to Donuts, the podcast where we talk with people who lead user research in their organization. And thanks to our quality sponsors, Airbnb's experienced research team, making authentic local experiences possible anywhere in the world. Balsamic, the maker of mock-ups, the rapid wireframing software that combines the simplicity of paper sketching with the power of a digital tool. And the Pinterest research team, who work with designers, engineers, and everyone in between to build the world's most inspiring catalog of ideas. For help defining your organization's user research roadmap, ask for my help at Portugal.com. Buy my book, Interviewing Users, from Amazon and Rosenfeld Media. And coming soon is my new book about user research war stories. Precolari leads the design research strategy group at eBay. He's worked at startups and in consulting and at companies including Motorola Mobility and Microsoft. He's an engineer and a designer and a researcher and a beekeeper and a Carmen Ghia enthusiast. Thanks, Pre, for being a guest on Dollars to Donuts. Absolutely. Looking forward to talking. Let's do the basic intro part of the interview. Okay. Tell me something about you and your sure. work and kind of why we're here to talk. Sure. I'm Pre Kolari and uh, I lead the design research team at eBay. It's actually design research and strategy team uh, that I lead at eBay. And we're a pretty sizable uh, team, about 20 people across the U.S. and Europe. So we have uh, people in San Jose, San Francisco, uh, Portland, uh, Germany, and uh, London. So pretty sizable team. Uh, we work across all of the products on eBay. So we uh, work within of um, we work with the product teams and work on both. Uh, new products as well as existing products. So if I'm uh, not a, not an industry insider and I'm listening to this and I think eBay, eBay has multiple products. Like, can you explain you know, sure. eBay a little bit for sure. those of us that aren't absolutely in the know? So so eBay eBay is interesting because you have a couple of different kinds of users. One is a seller, and then another one is a buyer. So both of them see different sides of eBay. Okay, and they both interact with eBay via desktop, mobile, uh, you know, multiple devices as well, right? So every one of those interaction spaces are product areas from our standpoint, right? And so that's one. Then eBay as a company uh, plays in many, many different spaces. One is eBay, the marketplace itself. Then there is a bunch of other places, which is uh, classified, StubHub, and all of those things. Those are separate teams by itself. Uh, and generally speaking, we don't necessarily work across as much as we should, but we, we do. Um, so that's, does that give you? Yeah. So what? where does something like eBay Motors fit in to that? Absolutely. Is that like a StubHub? Yeah, it is. No, no, no. eBay Motors is part of part of our team. So it's those are all things that are considered verticals. Uh, right. Good point. So within of the shopping side of things, there are certain areas that have specific verticals and eBay Motors or fashion or, you know, those are the spaces that are part of a part of our team. Yeah. If you're an eBay shopper, do you experience those things? If you just go in and search, yeah. do, you, do, you, yeah. do you know when you move between the verticals? The, the, ideally, if we did our job well, from a design perspective, as well as from a research perspective, 
you shouldn't notice it. Mm. But sometimes we do, you know, because it is two different teams that are delivering the same product, right? right? And so uh, that's that's one of the big challenges of doing good research, because as a researcher, you're thinking end to end. You're thinking the customer journey, right? You're coming at it from a user standpoint and users don't see your org structure. They see the product. The moment the users see our org structure, we have a problem. And that's exactly what we shouldn't be doing, right? So it sounds like the, the experience today for someone there's lots of points where you wouldn't see the structure and some points where you would. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Lots of places where you shouldn't see it, but some places you, you see it. And that's that's kind of why a bunch of us have jobs. To try to... Try to fix it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is It is about fixing. Um, some, some of it is about fixing. Some of it is about like coming up with new things that will will make the older behavior that we have started um, kind of become a back, you know, take a back seat, mm -hmm. right? It, it makes me think about what, um, you know, how research fits in, which I, we could probably spend a long time talking about. I mean, I think the sort of the, the counter example is always the, you know, there's a question that comes from a certain team and they're really only interested in the, the answers that affect their decisions within that. That's right. Whereas, as you say, as a researcher, you're looking kind of end to end. Yes. I guess so. The question is, you know, what, you know, how does, how does the work that you do, how do you structure it to touch different teams at different points so that those decisions can be made? It's a, it's a good question. So, so one of the things that our team, the whole team, does, is um, talks to counterparts. Our uh, colleagues or par people who are part of our core teams, yeah? And um, the main point there is understanding the goals of what we are trying to achieve, okay? The secondary part there is to train people not to look for local maxima, okay? Um, we, have, we have a habit, and this is, this is just a bad habit that's come across over time, right, of looking for uh, small wins, local maxima. Instead, how can we focus on long-term thinking, okay? So there is a little bit of bringing people along that happens, okay? And during that time, the framework that we end up using is just a simple one of generative, iterative, evaluative, okay? So here's the different kinds of spaces that we can look at research. The first part is generative. That's about generating ideas. That's about diverging um, in, from an ideation standpoint. Next one is iterative. This is where you're continuously testing things out to learn quickly and make this product much, much better, right? And then there is evaluative. Now we're pretty close to ship. How do we make sure that we ship something really amazing, right? And so that's the three-step kind of a thing. If you if you look at uh, a waterfall process, you talk, look at an agile process, pretty much those things fit right in. Yeah. Can you say a little more about local maxima? That's a great term that comes from, say, like, 
some kind of number theory something I, it's, it's a statistics uh, kind of a, uh, it comes from statistics it comes it's used a lot in the stock uh, broker side of things right and because you're always there there are people who are there for the short term they just are day traders that just made money they want to sell it off mm. and then they want to move on to the next one right um so if you look at the look at today's stock you probably see you know an up or a down and then the up could be a good up and it could be the maximum up that the stock would has has ever gone or you could step back a lot and see that the trend has been going up for years 25 years or 30 years and then you suddenly think okay you know what if i hold on to this stock it's going to do very well right so now you look look into a product or a research uh, side of things you start to see that we've made we've taken a certain path let's say with ebay we've taken a certain path with respect to how um how we make a buyer go through the the categories go through the shopping experience right and we can fix it a little bit we can make it a little better in terms of uh customer experience where they feel like hey you know i got to buy it with one less click we can also change the dollar amount for by which ebay makes out of this about 0.1% that's a win and it's very easy and it is very very tempting for everybody on the team including us researchers to go yes that's great let's go do it right but then when you ask the why questions and then you ask you go for deeper insights not just the surface level insights you can see patterns but you have to see the insights right you go deeper you start to find out that it's a lot more and you will have small things that you could do on the product that is that will give you wins 2 years from now that's that's what i mean by no you know right. local maxima so i'm thinking about i'm just we, we won't get into any specifics we're just talking about we're talking about this very generally yeah i think about things like uh you might have other kinds of maxima like uh how often they'll come back right uh but then you might have sort of larger issues like the meaning like if you want to change this site and i'm i'm really just making this up you want to change this from a transactional partner to something that becomes a support system that's right well that that's about longer that's about shifting the overall meaning through a lot of design choices and you have to measure that very differently than did the amount in the cart go up you're, is, is, is this you're, what we're talking you're about? absolutely yeah. right it's it's not just looking at a financial benefit that you can quickly calculate now yeah it's about looking it's about taking some amount of risk which are long term financial gains because it'll come back you know and the team will start to have an intuition of the fact that it'll come back and there is a you know we're we're a profit making company right and end of the day we want to make profit every day yeah and so it's not about just putting taking all of our eggs and putting it for long term wins it's about being very intentional and saying hey you know here's a few things that we're going to do where it is high risk high reward here's a few things we're going to do which is 
um, you know, absolutely uh, beneficial and we can see uh, the benefits right away. I mean, you're describing a strategy or, Basically, or a roadmap. Uh, that's like, right. Here's where we're, we want to go with I, this. I am. I am describing a roadmap and, and a you strategy. And you said right off the top that the, the strategy is in the title of, of your group. And you're talking Absolutely. about research as a strategic tool. Right. Very much. Right, right, right. So um, as in, you know, people on the team come from different kinds of backgrounds. Um, there are people who have uh, no no research degrees, if you may. Uh, there are people with MBA degrees, right? And that's intentional. The When you put these kinds of different kinds of people together, there is, there is a, a radical collaboration, if you may, mm. right? And that kind of collaboration happens because people are coming at it from different mindsets, but they respect each other's mindsets. And uh, when you start seeing that happen, other people also join in. And I want the engineers, I want the designers, I want the uh, product managers joining in and pitching in and making it their own idea, right? And that's how you take it to ship. So in this, this Maxima example, I think is a really great one, or sort of avoiding the pitfall of the local Maxima, I guess maybe is, is the theme here. What kinds of conversations are you having with people and how are you helping them? This is, I'm assuming you are mm -hmm. helping them to see that as a, as, a, as a choice or a different path. Yeah, good, good question. So you have, there is, there is, this is where it's a little bit of an art more than a science. And it's a little bit of wisdom more than here's, uh, here's five things you can do. What I look at is I think of, you know, I, I, I don't do as much, personally don't do as much uh, research as I used to do um, out in the field. I do my, very, very little. But what I end up doing is I'm, I end up doing research on in the corporate side of things, if you may. It's about understanding the organizational psychology. It's about understanding what are the needs, what are the pain points, what are the motivations of these people who are working to, you know, working inside of an organization, right? And once you understand that and you map it, you can think about like, wh why is this person thinking this way? You can still figure out that there is a motivation that works with what you're trying to communicate and it becomes very easy then, right? And so I'm, I'm always looking for win-win situations. It's a negotiation at the end of the day too, right? Like, so it's a, it's a win-win situation. Let's, let's figure this out and uh, make it happen. So I, I, I don't think I have a specific answer there, but mm. more of a generic answer. You, know, you make me think about uh, my own work. I'm someone that works outside the organization. That's so right. I, I come in um, and, you know, the best engagements for me are ones where I'm partnering with somebody who has that insider knowledge and has sort of worked over time to try to find out how to be successful so that I'm not blundering it and saying, I know the best way to do it, right? It always has to be a, a, adapted uh, to the context. And there, there's often this interesting tension. I don't, maybe tension in, in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, when you come in and you're newer in this, in this role, so you probably have a perspective on this. Yep. When you come in, you see everything that's wrong that needs to be changed. And then when you spend time, 
you choose your battles, you figure out your strategy. What I see, because I'm always in the newer side of, of things, is that you also get, I don't want to say co-opted is too strong a word, but you you become part of the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have these situations where, uh, you know, I, I feel a deep passion, like this is what these people need. And people that are my gatekeepers are like, yeah, there's maybe not an appetite for that. Or, mm-hmm. And it's not to say that we then fall flat. It's just it's where we put our energy. Right. Um, so I love what – I mean, I think it, it's it, – it, I love what you're able to do. You have to be embedded. You have to build relationships. You have to kind of go over time, um, you know, without being kind of, you know, confrontational to you. Do you think – have you seen it in yourself that um, – you're now part of the system. Mm-hmm. You came in to sort of drive change, but then you become part of the system. Yeah. Like, what does that arc look like? Very, very good, good point. So, so I've I've done like consulting work, like you have for a long time, and then I moved into the corporate side of things. Ninety, uh, no, two thousand eight. So, been doing this for eight years. Big change. Big difference. The advantages and good things that corporate um, or uh, the consulting side uh, comes with is they come with a fresh perspective. And you come, like when you come and work with us, you come with a fresh perspective that we never would have thought of, okay? Um, You also come with an expertise. So um, the the hierarchy that has already been established within of the within of the corporation doesn't apply to this consultant who's just come in, right? And so that's an awesome thing, yeah? Um, however, these the guys who come in also do not know the culture of the organization or do not know the history of the organization. Within, within the corporate structure, there is researchers inside the corporates who are embedded and they work really, really hard to build the relationships to make sure that they, they are, they're doing the right thing. And um, sometimes, yes, getting embedded for too long will make them feel like, hey, you know, I'm part of it and I cannot make any changes. But we end up, we end up really working hard not to let that happen. And to make that we we go back to like within our team we we have a we built together the team with a set of principles okay and these are principles that everybody in the team worked together and we just kind of articulated one biggest principle that we have is about impact you know we we write down like hey what does impact mean the other one is about transparency um, it's about transparency with respect to communication, yeah. And the as soon as we end up being extremely transparent, we break down walls that otherwise exist within the corporation. It's part of our jobs to break those walls, yeah. And we are, you know, we uh, within my team, we are not measured by how many reports you've written or whether you finished so many projects you're measured by the impact on the product, yeah? So it is super important to work with the product manager. It's super important to work with the business 
a person. It's super important to work with the designer to make sure that the impact is clear, right? And then that's when it changes our own behavior a little bit, not conform to the culture in the, in the way you described it. Does that make sense? It, it does. I just, I feel a little skeptical and that's not a skepticism towards you. It's just in uh -huh. general sort of having observed, having observed this. Yeah. Um, because in order to be successful, there's a certain amount of conforming that has to happen. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that, you know what I mean? You have to kind of conform to figure out how to choose the battles. Yep. And there's battles that you're not going to choose now because you've found ways to be successful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, think about yourself in 2007. You would, I'm going to guess, you would come in and look at yourself doing this job and, like, shine the flashlight in some corner and say, like, guys, you're denying this. And now you, 2016 you, is kind of saying, like, well, no, you know, we have these principles and we've had impact and we have this track record and, like, mm -hmm. We have lots and lots of success. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I'm doing a little puppet show here. 2007, you is kind of saying like, no, no, no. Like over here, this thing. And yeah. I, that's the tension that I think Absolutely. is interesting. So, so I, I agree with you. So if I look back in the 2008 me, I would look at the 2016 me and say, hey, look, you're not listening to, to me. You're not listening to this part of the equation. And that's the reason why um, I think, you know, it's, it's learning, right? From a life perspective, absolutely. Do I prioritize certain things to make an impact on? I do, right? And everybody on my team does. We do it because we believe in the fact that making impact is more important than making impact on all the 10 things. So let's imagine there is a study where we saw 10 different things that are very important things to fix, okay? In an evaluative study, we might choose only two of the top things and some of it might be confrontational, but we might pick only two of the top things because we know that if we pick those two and go really, really hard, it will help us instead of diluting our impact with going with 10 different things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, the, that's the choices we end up making. But the choices are super important because it's exactly based on impact. Okay. Um, doing the right research means talking about all the 10 because those are all observed and those were patterns that were observed. At the end of the day, we're not doing research, we're doing applied research, you know, and we're working within a product company that ships products. You cannot ship a research report, you can ship a product. So that's what we're going after. Yeah, that that picking the two of the 10, I think is really- It's an art, really interesting. it's hard. And it's not like you for, it's not like you haven't learned those other eight or haven't articulated them. I don't know, do those, do those float around kind of in the, in the ecosystem somewhat and they they do right as in they might come back again this is where uh, so i joined the ebay team only uh, less than a year ago actually our team is is quite amazing like have have been doing amazing work for quite a few years since 99 uh, the research team's been there and have been doing like quite quite a lot of good work 
there were there were challenges in how this work was heard within the organization there were challenges with respect to resonance on some of the outputs and so we had to stack rank everything so this is the engineer from my uh, me talking here right i'm all about stack racking drawing a cut line and saying hey here's the few things we're going to go after and we're going to go after after really hard is that a fancier way of prioritizing is that what, was Basically, that what you're saying or is there that, like a methodology it is prioritizing that, okay it is prioritizing that's a great phrase though yeah so uh stack ranking yeah 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 it is it is it is it's 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 probably engineering talk but yes i i would i would rather you know because at the end of the day we are we are again concentrating on shipping and so again i think that those are things that are coming from my background as an engineer as a person who's like shipped multiple products as an engineer as a startup person as in like you know c- coming back to if we did amazing research and there isn't a follow through afterwards the amazing research just sat on a shelf and nobody benefited from it you know because i know that in in my heart and i know that a lot of people who come do this we're doing it not to just do research we do it because we enjoy seeing the output of this which is the experiences that have changed and that's what gives us satisfaction and that's the long term view right even just the idea of sort of the output of these are significant efforts you know a quote research project whatever it looks like it's a, it's a significant effort right right and that even to get what you've learned down to 10 things or 10 right. big ideas or 10 opportunities that takes a lot of pain you have to leave a lot of things on the floor mm-hmm. and synthesize and organize yep. and then i'm just sort of i'm just sort of toying with this idea you're describing um that says okay team we've kind of got these 10 things let's go at them with two uh it's very different than and i'm sort of thinking about the consultant cycle which is you know it's hey the consultants are back here's their thing it's a significant effort it sort of ends the engagement we have to impart as much as possible because we're going to leave yeah um so to get it down to 10 is really hard um but it's like i think about in certain circumstances like what would happen if we said okay there's two things yes we have a lovely executive summary that says like here's the, here it is on one slide but just to really shout loud about two things sure so actually let me give you an example okay which was um uh, from my previous work at motorola so um here's the interesting uh, thing that happened this was um Uh so Google had just acquired Motorola and that's when I joined uh Motorola as part of you know the Google uh, when they acquired around that time. Um one of our um one of the challenges that we got from uh, during that time it was like a bunch of uh the Google executives who joined Motorola and it was clear there was a mandate let's reduce the number of phones that we're making to very few and whatever we're making let's make something amazing. So um we did a bunch of ethnographies where we saw people taking pictures that's what we were looking after we're looking at images and people taking pictures and one thing we observed over and over again how hard it was for people to quickly capture an image and what all things people were doing and this is where you know you've seen this in the field like 
mom holding a kid and take, trying to take a picture and a selfie. As in like, there's a diaper bag in another hand. It is, it is tough. How do you allow for that to happen? And we, we could have written reports and reports about this, but we went in one phrase. We said, you know, pocket to picture in four seconds and one hand. That was our output from a research study that took two months, if you may. And right? you, you learned, just, just to, just to we, pose, you learned lots of things, learned lots tons of, things. of improvements that could be Absolutely. made, lots of opportunities for fixing, creating new. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we know that we want to get from a pocket to picture this much time and one-handed, now you suddenly suddenly have have something that the whole organization can rally around. There is a purpose. It's a measurable goal. And what happened was with the Moto X, we had a gyro. Every phone has a, you know, has, has a, uh, has a sensor in it. We, we put in a low power sensor as well. People could just twist twice and with one hand take a picture. We even changed the UI. In, a, in, in, in any big company, you could think about like how difficult it is to remove uh, the interface. And we removed the interface to make the whole screen a touch target. And you, you could take a picture. And suddenly, user experience completely changed, right? And so could we have gone with like, hey, the pictures that were taken uh, in a dark bar were too dark? Sure. We had a whole bunch of things, right? But we didn't. We made a choice. We made multiple choices afterwards. And so the quality of the picture came up after. And we worked very hard to change the quality of the picture. And we have specific things about how you can change tones based on the picture, like a skin tone versus food versus the sky, and make the perception of that picture to be higher quality, right? And so what, what we're talking about is very data-driven design, right? And so when you have data and you're very specific about how we can use the data to change the design, it always works. And, and I, I think it's interesting that, that your, your research output, if you will, was sort of a, uh, a vision statement or you right. know, for, for a design brief. And that's different than um, personas or journey maps or sort of, it's not about the format of the output. It's not even, here's what we learned about people. You're kind of taking it all the way to say that we did this research and it tells us that this is what the product needs to deliver. Yeah. It's an objective. It's, it's, yeah, yeah it's a, it's a, an objective, right? It seems like there's something interesting about how teams are structured or, uh, you know, how these programs kind of run that lets a research project output a product decision, as opposed to sure. researchers learned this, they talked to the designers, they ran a session, the designers decided, uh -huh. you're sort of putting it all under the same umbrella. We did this activity, the thing that we learned is the product should do X. Yep. So how, does, how do you structure, how do you bring the right players together and sort of have the, the whole endeavor such that it, that that's, that can be the output. Everybody who's on the team is assigned to a product area, okay? So they have a core team that they work with. Um, it works very well in an agile kind of an environment anyway, 
because otherwise you're a service organization within of a big company. We're, we're not a service organization within a company. We are a product organization. So what that means is let's imagine a person on the shopping experience. They're part of the shopping experience team and are embedded within the team. And they work with the team every day on daily standups. And they figure out, they, 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 have, they maintain a roadmap of what research has to be done. They bring up things within the team and talk about what are hypotheses, what are myths, what are things that we know, what are, what are data, what are insights that we know that we really know, need to go after. And so all of those things are super important coming from the researcher's standpoint. Then the next step is about participation with, within the research. Okay? So I'm a firm believer that research isn't done only by researchers. Everybody is a researcher. It's like everybody is an artist, right? Like, you know, we all have this innate ability to observe and make conclusions. That's part of what we do. Some people just have been trained in this and are, are probably much better at the structured side of it. You have, when you have researchers who are catalysts within the core group to understand more about the users so that we can make products that are absolutely relevant to the need of the user. The need may be even unknown, uh, you know, they, it might be a blind spot. They might not even know that they need it. Fine. Build, building that sensitivity for the whole team, part of the researcher's job. And then it is also part of the researcher's job to collaborate, get to an output. When I, when I gave you the example of a phrase that came in the end, it is not the researcher who comes up with that kind of a thing. It happens because the designer, the engineer, the PM is all part of that discussion. They own it. They co-own it, right? And that's, what, that's when you get successful products. That's a good explanation of sort of how you set up those conditions to make those kinds of big impact. I mean, it's back to your point about impact earlier on. Right. If you can come up with that phrase as your output, you're setting yourself up for impact in a really Absolutely. massive way. And, and that goes a little bit, um, you know, with, with, with research, we end, up, we end up thinking a lot about outputs from only one, one research report or one research study. That's, I think, history. I really believe that it's about building criteria, putting together principles, kind of collect all the knowledge that we know from multiple studies. And that's part of the job of, of an in-house researcher, right? Which is different from somebody who's coming at it from a consulting standpoint. Um, and what that does is it helps make good decisions throughout the product development process. We're making, you know, I, I, I really believe that the intuitive decision-making is bullshit. It's either data-driven decision-making or principle-based decision-making. And so we have to give the ability for people to make the right decisions. And that's, you know, it's giving, getting the data, putting together principles that help us make the decisions. Does that answer your question? Yeah. So you just to try to tie together a couple of things that you've mentioned. Mm -hmm. This idea of everyone as a researcher yeah. um, and then different decision-making styles. 
Um, I'm curious about, you know, there's people that are researchers for a reason that mm-hmm. they have, they have kind of an approach and can you compare and contrast maybe the, the mindset of someone that has researchers, their title versus these other people on the team that they're working with? Mm, sure. So I think, I think one of the, one of the big things as a researcher, we, we, you know, we're curious and the curiosity is what makes a good researcher. The 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 hunger, it's a sponge. It's like wanting to learn, right? And we're paid to be unbiased versus let's talk about a product manager or let's talk about a designer. They're paid to be opinionated. Having opinions and having ideas of where they want to go is what they're paid for. And so now there is there is a tension. People are coming at it from different angles. Both want to understand what the users want, yeah, because we want to finally make a product for our users, but are coming at it from two different angles. And so that that tension is what I think is the root of the issue. And then like figuring out how to manage that tension, it's never going to go away. It's managing it and directing it in the right direction. I think that's that tension. So as you describe sort of how that team your team came up with, you know, uh, I'm, now I can't get it right. What was the, from pocket to photo it's, in, it in doesn't four matter. seconds, yeah. whatever. Yeah. You know, so that, that is a product of those different perspectives. Right. Right. So I'm going to just pick on you slightly. I mean, you, you use this phrase, which we hear a lot when we talk about research, which is like what users want. And that's sort of shorthand. But I think in the examples that you've given, you really, I think you're really saying that research is, is, is identifying something else. And maybe this is just me being semantically uh, like stubborn or something, but um, no one asked you, and we know this, right? No one said, "Hey, I wish I could do this with my with my phone," right? It's the yeah. You know, when you say what people want, it implies that the researcher is taking requests. But what you're describing is something much. It's that hunger and that curiosity and that right. and that synthesis to pull those principles out. Absolutely, as in we've been doing this kind of work for a long time, and we always go for these unarticulated needs. The What people say is is very easy to get to. And a lot of times what people say is like they're lying, you know, and they're saying what you want to hear. It's getting to the deeper insights by looking at patterns, looking at behavior, looking at what people are making. And so I go back to Liz Sanders, who's a mentor from a long time ago, right? What people say, what people do, and what people make. You start to see that each of these areas give you different kinds of data. And triangulating between that data takes a lot of synthesis, takes a lot of analysis, right? And then you get to the core of it and articulate what it is our users want. The, the point that I think is most important and is lost is it is not two researchers going off for two months, coming back with this magic. This analysis doesn't necessarily happen in a closed room. The, the right way, the new way to do it is the analysis happens in an open space, happens with others. It is co-created so that at the end of the day, our products are the, the objectives for our product is co-owned by everybody building the product. So let me ask you somewhat of a more tactical question about that. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you've talked about, you know, people, some people are paid to have opinions. That's right. And um, so how do you help people be effective in synthesis that what they're coming in with is what they've been working on, what their vision is, what their intuition is, whatever that is. How do you help them sort of embrace the messiness of, of the data and be in that, be in that synthesis process? And mm-hmm. I don't know, I'll, yeah. I'll just stop. Um, so some of it, so we've been doing a lot of um, what we call iteration zero sprints. We just started doing a lot of those things. Um, basically, it's it's design sprints, and and um, you know Google's done a good job of uh, writing a little bit about the design sprints. You must have seen some of um, the design sprints work that uh, Google Ventures uh, has put out. A good amount of work, which is really good, um, and that's a very tactical way to get a bunch of people together, not necessarily throwing them right into the middle of the swimming pool but letting them wade in the kiddie pool. What happens is everybody gets a sense of the what the water is like, how cold the temp- temperature is, what it is like to float a little bit, that kind of a thing. The researcher does most of the heavy lifting or a bunch of researchers do most of the heavy lifting. When, when we all come together towards the patterns, everybody is on board. Otherwise, you you know, this is this is a challenge that our industry has faced for quite a while, right? Which is trying to explain qualitative versus quantitative research as well. And and we do a good amount of both kinds of research within our team. Um, and I I see a lot of it where, and I've seen this in multiple companies where every time it's like ten users, uh, even though those ten users were observed for each of them observed for a few days, maybe. Oh, it's only ten people. So, do we do you think we can put a million dollars on this or not? Right, and that question always comes up. And so, that's that's where getting people really connected with the stories, the real people, is super important. Storytelling is a very important part of design, and making good design decisions. So that's it comes back to that part of design that we plug into research. So, or, so how do you answer that question? Are these stories sufficient to commit uh, an investment? What's the response? It, it usually ends up being yes. So um, there's two things that help quite a bit. If you look at if you look at uh, venture capital money going into startups, or you look at like companies investing into new products, there is one which is very good data that's driving certain directions. Second, conviction. When, when the team sees certain things and they believe in it, there is a certain level of conviction. You cannot, you cannot necessarily explain it in words, but you can see it. Us as researchers, what we do is we, we, we change that part for the whole team. And that's the, that's the value add that we bring in. And it's quite amazing. I feel like yes and no. I mean, yes, I know, you know, I I know what that feeling is like and I know what that conviction feels like and I know when you just you know that here's the opportunity because you've been out, you've been with these people, That's you've right. you've you've experienced their stories, you've breathed the same air as them. How how do you then translate it to conviction for everybody else? Yeah. You know, it's, it, as in like as a consultant, I've done 
uh, immersion rooms. I've done, you know, videos, video clips, and like, it's not enough. And all of those things help. What, what we're doing a lot more of is we're actually taking people into the field. As in part of our sprints, we have users, we have two, two sets of interactions. We have interactions in the beginning of, uh, of, the, of the sprint with the users. We have interactions at the end of the sprint with users. And through that interactions, first interaction is about understanding the ecosystem, the domain, the landscape. And the next interaction is about evaluation, if you may. It's more concept evaluation, right? And so everybody's been part of this journey. And it's, it's not just theater. It is actually immersing yourself in the people's lives. And I think you're describing I mean, a really nice version of this. We've been headed towards sort of everyone being a researcher, research is integrated, everyone participates. It's, 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 and I think there's a, we keep talking about tensions. There's an interesting tension there where this thing works best when everybody plays as deeply and richly as possible. And yet it's not a, it's a, it's a, it's a profession, not a, not a practice. What am I trying to say? That's a better way to say that. You know, filling out uh, expense reports yes. is not a job function at a corporation. It's an activity that everyone who works at that company does. Mm-hmm. Research is a job. Mm-hmm. There's there's leaders that that have that function. Right. Um, and I, I mean, I wonder if you know this is a a, a point in a transition where because you're describing something that's just really fully integrated at its at its ultimate. You know, they need us to facilitate it, to kind of guide it. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm, I'm, I'm describing an, an ideal situation as in uh, it's called work for a reason. Right. As in it's, it's not all like easy and simple. We're, we're, we're learning and we're making it happen every day. Yeah. So it is not it's it's not that everything's like done and like flower petals are put in front of us for us to come there. Right. It is definitely a struggle. Like, and different teams are different. There are day-to-day stresses and tensions. And those are places where, again, if we believe in where we want to go, I think it makes it much easier. Because, again, it comes back to our, our talk about the local maxima as well, you know, even within our profession. Can we switch gears a little bit? Absolutely. Um, talk about... Um... You know your your choice to join this group and take on this role because you're, you're describing the reality and the reality is of course everything's a mix of wonderful mm-hmm. and, and challenging yeah. yeah and that's not i don't think that's unique to your situation but mm. you know something was compelling to you about this opportunity oh, yeah, yeah. And, and and you know can yeah. you talk about what you're absolutely looking for? so um ebay um so my my background um you know engineering and design have worked in um you know design research, innovation consulting for a, for a good while. Then moved into Microsoft, was part of um, the small team that invented Kinect. Um, we also was part of the team uh, that did, did Zoom, all that kind of work, like some of the initial Metro designs. So moved to Motorola afterwards uh, to lead the design research team um, right when um, Motorola was changing quite a bit. You know, Motorola had gone down uh, in terms of uh, how it was doing. Um, and there was only one way to go once you go down that much. It's like up um, or disappear. My personality overall is more, I guess I'm a betting man. 
I take risks in spaces and I cal- calculated risk, of course, but I, I like, like that excitement. And so I joined. After a few years, some of the work was nicely done already. There was things that were in place. So personally, I was looking for other possibilities. This thing came along and I, I again looked at what was happening. eBay as a company is a 20-year-old company, has established itself as a leader within of this marketplaces, makes a lot of money by doing this. However, if it continues to do the exact same thing that it did, it probably doesn't have as much of, you know, of a growth trajectory. And so how, so overall, there is a challenge for the company to reinvent, to think about new possibilities. And for an outsider, for me, I was like looking at it and I was thinking, hey, you know, that sounds like an exciting opportunity. A place where somebody like me can make impact. The team was amazingly good. The culture was very good. So I felt like, hey, you know, I could, I could, I could work in this culture. And uh, it felt exciting to, to move at a time when eBay was just celebrating its 20th anniversary, just split from PayPal as eBay by itself. There is a future that we all can create together. Does that answer your question? Yes. And uh, so if, I, if I'm a researcher and I'm looking at different organizations, because you've mentioned a number of different orgs that you've kind of come into, mm-hmm. um, you know, what are things that you would advise me to look for to try to assess? I mean, a good, a, I mean, a good, fit. A good fit for researchers, mm-hmm. I think, is different than yeah. other kinds of professions. Yeah. You know, uh, what, what, what do we look for? Um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a very good question, and I, I haven't thought much about it, to be honest. You have researchers at various levels. So there is an entry-level researcher who's done a good amount of academic work, let's say, uh, or has gone through some amount of training. And then there is a researcher with like mid, you know, two, three years of experience. And then there is the researcher with about 10, 15 years of experience or plus, like much, much more experience. And then there's also researchers at various kinds of levels. There are researchers who are um, IC, individual contributor kind of researchers. And then there are managerial kind of researchers. Different places, I think, offer different things. So there are certain places, like if you look at the Googles and the Facebooks uh, of the world, if you may, they all, there is a lot of opportunities to learn. You, you can have a researcher who's just starting out, a younger researcher who's wanting to learn a lot of things, it's an awesome opportunity, yeah? Um, Even companies, like the bigger companies are really good places for you to learn. eBay is one of those. A new person comes in who has no experience and will, will, will train them. And they get to observe, they get to be part of a pretty big organization. And everybody in the organization comes with a different skill. And they all are willing to teach. And they're willing to learn from this new person as well. And so that automatically makes it makes that kind of an environment better. I would, I would say for a mid-level kind of a person, it might be valuable to go to a smaller 
company, a startupy kind of a company where you're probably the only person. You can build out the team. You can figure out what, build a network, build a network of mentors, build a network of people that have done this before who can become your personal advisors, if you may. And then you can go next step. And as you get uh, more senior, there's only few places that will hire you as well, right? Because you're too expensive or, you know, it, it's, it's just, or it, it's, a, it's where, uh, or you move into different areas. I know of researchers who move into product management. I know researchers who moved into design. And you move into lateral areas and grow that way. Mm -hmm. And I, all of it is, is learning. And uh, that's, it's, it's something that, you know, as researchers, we enjoy. So maybe a related question, um, when you look at people that might join whatever team you've been on over the years, what are some kinds of things that you see that kind of, uh, that make your antenna go up? Like, what are some, some good, strong signals that say, oh, this, there's something here with this person? I think it comes, comes down to passion. You can, again, like, when, when you see people really, and, and I'd say passion translates into several things. It translates into a real hunger for learning. It translates into caring about the product and the user. And you can see the decisions being made go towards caring about the product and the user. And I, I've noticed that researchers at a, at a certain, they, they've been taught research so much, they sometimes think of research, uh, I'd say in a, in a little bit too pure kind of a way, aren't thinking about it as a tool, a means to an end. And I see some researchers who've gone past to where they have learned the tools to cause damage. <laughs> Um, when I say cost damage, as in like they 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 start to think about the product, they start to think about oh, the like, good kind of damage. The good kind yeah. of damage. It's back to your impact point. Yeah. Yes. So that's what that's what attracts uh, me to like okay, saying hey, here's here's some people that that have potential because they care and they care about the product, they care about the user, and they're very passionate about it. That's great. All right. So uh, just picking up on this notion of passion. Um, We've talked, as of course it's the focus here, we talked about your work um, and a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to where you are. I'm wondering about other things that you have, uh, you know, passions for. Reveal something about how you, what we've talked about today. Are there any kind of sure. connections or cross-pollinations sure. between research makes you do these other things or these other things kind of impact how you think about research? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I'm... I, I have I have too many interests, as in I'm a dad. I enjoy being a dad. I uh, I'm a bicyclist. I bike. Uh, I commute bike commute to work. Plus I bike on the weekends anytime I get get. I um, I love cooking. Uh, that's kind of a place where I can calm down. Um, generally speaking, like design designed objects, well designed objects, well um, you know even even furniture making, those kinds of things. I've been doing this for years, and I do a little bit whenever I get time. Life hacking, it's just more about productivity for, for me, uh, as well as just like uh, 
you know, peace of mind, all of those kinds of things where I could probably get more out of less, if you may, mm -hmm. right? I also um, recently got back to this. I, as a, as a kid, I grew up in a, I, I grew up in a small little uh, town back in India. Um, and I come from a farming community and I've learned like a lot of the farming side of things very early in life. And one of the things was beekeeping and I, I keep bees and that's something again, like, you know, uh, backyard honey, right? Enjoy doing it. It's a, maybe, maybe there is a pattern that goes across all of these two have, um, love, uh, old air cooled Volkswagen, uh, Carmen Ghia, um, again, the engineering side of it, you know, fixing things, uh, making it work again, um, those kinds of things excite me. Uh, all of it, I think the, the pattern that goes across is it's, it's all intense stuff. Um, and I like the intensity. Uh, intensity kind of calms me down. And I, that's why I end up doing it. You can see some of these things with, where I bring them back to work. Uh, if you think about bees and you think about how it works, they, the bees as a, as a colony, a single bee by itself will not sting you if you meet the bee somewhere on the road. You know, unless you go and try to squeeze it or something like that, right? It will never sting you. That's the last thing it wants to do. As a colony, they work together. And one of the ways you can get stung is if you try to steal their honey. And any time they get a notion that you're going to steal the honey, it's going to sting you, right? It's, and, and they go after it together. And that is a whole lot of science there. It's one, one bee stings. There's a little bit of smell that it leaves, you know, and then every other bee wants to attack that particular thing. And so now again, simple rules and everybody executes. I bring some of those things back to work. I bring principles and principle-based decision-making from cooking. Cooking is an interesting uh, thing. I, I never cook with a recipe. I cannot cook with a recipe, but I cook with principles. There are certain things that go well together. Those have been learned over hundreds and thousands of years. Different cultures have learned this many, many ways. I do read books about food. So principles at work come, for me, come from principles in cooking. Cooking is, a, is an interesting thing because if you don't cook with recipes, you kind of borrow principles that help you cook well. It might be about like the right amount of garlic and ginger in your, in your food, or it might be about like how you, you pair a certain kind of vegetable with a certain kind of meat. It's that connection and it sets, it's a, it's a pattern that works well. And if you, you know, I, I read a good amount of books about food. I don't, I don't read about recipes. I just read about food. And I love to read about the history of food as well, as in like how food changed over, over thousands of years. And those kinds of things intrigue me just because of the fact that there's these there's this knowledge that has been passed on generation to generation, not necessarily written down, but passed on. And it's a set of principles. And so I, now I'm thinking about what you're describing and, and my own inept attempts to cook. You know, if you think about how much garlic or how much ginger to put in, you can do it, 
but if you're if you're a novice, if you're like me, the only way you know if you've done it right is to taste it. At which right. point it's too late. That's right. Which I think is similar to some of the work things we're talking about. Like, how do you create something? How do you evaluate it? What you know, you sort of invest. Uh, you invest time or, or building effort. You do, right? You do, and and that's also like, here's an interesting thing, as in like, um, from a cooking standpoint, right? Like my my mom was explaining to me when to add salt to vegetables that were cooking. She had no idea about the science of it, but she was right. You know, she she was t talking about like adding the salt. Uh, just a little bit after it boils, right when it boils, add some salt and add a spoon of water so that it starts to boil again. That's what she told me, right? I started researching. This is the researcher in me, right? I started researching, wh why are you saying this? What does this have to do? And then I read up about how the salt added at the right time either makes the vegetable mushy, the, the, the skin of the vegetable stays intact, the inside gets cooked, right? And so it's, it's a science. Some people have learned it by experience and are passing it on to generations via uh, patterns, right? And, and that's why it's, it's quite amazing. And architecture is another one, like you might have heard of Christopher Alexander and the pattern languages. That, that side of architecture always amazes me. And it's, it's interesting because there is patterns to be seen and patterns that have been happening for years. You know, we took the pattern language into software, yeah? And a lot of the software now is, is based on this, you know? So it's quite amazing. You made this point early on about uh, uh, what's an art versus what's a science. And so now we can take some of what you're describing with cooking and architecture. Can we talk about just field work? I mean, we're, we've talked a lot about the context in which research gets a Applied, mm -hmm. But if you think about just doing a field work, I think is, is a maybe a rich place to look at just for a minute or so. I don't know, you know, can you draw, I'm going to just throw it back at you. You're sort of talking about cooking as a science, but I, I think there's an art aspect to that as well, architecture. And so how do some of those principles, do those things apply to field work as an activity in a, either an art way or oh, a science way? Absolutely, right? So, and, and so let's, let's, uh, let's go to one other passion, which is parenting. And I struggle with this, which is being here now, being present. The mobile phone, the computer, the, all the screens, it kind of distract me. And I'm sure a lot of people have the same, same thing. My kids are wanting my attention and I don't give them as much attention. On the field side of things, right? And, and this comes to a beekeeping. It comes with, uh, with, the, with the mechanical work that I would do on, on my car. All of those things, the attention that you have to give is exactly the attention you have to give while you're interviewing somebody, right? You have to be there and you have to feel like that's the only thing in the world for you at this moment. Uh, that's, you know, it, is it a skill? Is it learned? Is it, I don't know. That's something that everybody you know, and I know you've written written a whole book about it, right? Um, it's a it's 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 crazy. That's great. That's a wonderful that's a wonderful thought. How old are your children? Eight and nine. Okay. You have kids too. I do not have. You kids. don't have kids. No. Okay. What uh, what should we have talked about that we didn't get to that 
I think it's, we should cover. It's an absolutely good question. That's a question that everybody should be asking at the end of the interview. That's yeah? right. That's my stock. <laughs> it's one of my stock ending questions. Everybody's stock awesome. ending question. No. Um, let's see. What should we have talked about? I think we we covered a lot of things. I'd I'd say, I think we we sh we might we might discuss a little bit, and I want to ask you your thoughts on this, which is where's where is design research going long term? And I think a lot about is this field temporary field that was right for a certain a certain time period, and will it just disappear? <laughs> a field that will morph into new things. What do you think? That's what I was driving at a little bit when I, when I, and I ineptly compared um, research to expense reporting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I've thought for years that uh, there's a potential for this to be an activity, not a role. Um, and it's interesting. It's, I know it's very exciting to hear how the activity of research has really, as you're describing it, you know, in these ideal situations, it's really grown, like what we mean by research and mm -hmm. what it entails and the skills and just and, and, and all that. It's um, there was a point and you probably remember this from your early days where buying a video camera was like that was sort of the step into doing research. Well, we bought a video camera mm -hmm. um, and it was sort of a naive time. But I love hearing you describe kind of the I guess the maturity and sophistication and the and the and the capability that this set of activities uh has but i have i've just been saying for years like is that is this just design uh, or or should it just be design and i feel like i don't know if this this is this is the same trend or an adjacent one part of that sort of questing that you and i and you know people in our industry have been doing sort of evangelizing advocating hoping wishing wanting has been to see research more fully integrated, more fully adopted. And I think with that has come a couple of things. There's sort of a good and bad. Um, and as you said, there's an ideal and you've just, you've, you've laid out the vision for the ideal and you, you strive every day to achieve that ideal. I also think, and I maybe I'm, hopefully I'm not just being grumpy about it, but there's a lot of commoditization of research that's happened at the same time. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's lots of junior people coming in. They're not always getting the mentorship that you're describing. Um, they're being asked to kind of execute closed end, not not explorations. They're not. They're barely doing evaluative. They're 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 swimming in the local maxima mm -hmm. to mix metaphors, um, and that some people are kind of you know dusting their hands off, going, "Well, we did it. We we hired a research. We've got research being done." Um, so. It's a checkbox, yeah? Yes, yes. And that's, I guess that isn't new. I guess I just see more versions of that uh, where there was a time where research was ignored and now it's sort of pulled in, kind of kept in the corner and not doing very much. And I feel like, oh, we wanted everyone to do research and now they are, except they're not always doing, they're not always kind of doing it as a leadership strategic activity the way you guys are and, and so many of our, our peers are. And so sometimes I wonder like, well, is this the consequence? Is this the downside of, of of us wanting this so much that it has been adopted but not in the way that we had hoped for? Yeah, and I think you mentioned something very interesting, which is: is it an activity uh, that you know everybody does, or it's just one of those activities? It's not necessarily a, a discipline. It's not a profession. Um, it's a very interesting thought because I have a I have a sense that 
over over the last few years like it's been 20 25 years that we have had a, a kind of a new discipline come about which is the product management discipline it used to be more program management before or it used to be more like putting connecting all the dots rather than owning the product um, and and i also wonder out aloud if we we somehow connect with uh, the product management discipline somehow or the design discipline uh, even more so I, I i i don't have any conclusions and it's a, it's one of those things that kind of keeps me up and i think about like where is this going and I've said this before on, on this podcast, it seems like research follows design or follows user experience and that I think some of the things we wring our hands about are the things that profession, that community was wringing its hands about three years ago. And um, and so that huh. the move, I hear UX people say all the time uh, that, that, you know, that product management is kind of, is the opportunity for UX to grow. Rosenfeld Media did a virtual conference recently that was like really? a PM plus UX event. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there's just these signals that this is that these are the conversations that are being that are happening. Yeah. Um, and so where is the research side of? Because sometimes research is sort of like hidden under UX a little bit. It is, but if you see some of the latest things that are happening, I feel research is actually leading design. And the reason I feel research is leading design is because of a few things. One is how connected we are with users, okay? And how that gap between a user having a need to a solution that can be shipped is kind of reducing. As that happens, you end up having a lot more this need gathering, a lot more of this co-creation, if you may, of the end product that is important. And and we've always been at the at the leading edge of this. We've been pushing design, design being just inspiration and like let me make this up. Design that is like intentional. We continue to push this discipline. I I would any day call it as leading the discipline rather than kind of following it. Following it maybe from a from a time standpoint maybe yes you I see where you're going with this but. So that dynamic is that's interesting, and maybe maybe design is maturing to not be, uh, you know, decoration. I mean, it's been yeah. maturing that way for a long time. That's I'm just reflecting what you're saying. That starts as it matures to be sort of creating experiences, creating value. Then the the hook for design to do that is research, which then goes back to your question, which we're not going to be able to answer. Which is should it just go away or will it just go away? I don't know, right? Like, so, so the, another another interesting development that's happening with the design side of things is patterns, right? So, over and over again, now we are starting to see design patterns that are used multiple places, right? And so, suddenly, the value of having to design individual things, and it happened in software a few years ago, as in some of the very good software programmers know that the best thing to do is to have a collection of all of these things that they over, use over and over again. And they just pull it in, cut and paste. Most of the code is not written. It's just cut and pasted together. I, I'm not reducing the value of a person, of software here. You know, I, I can code and I, I know, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work. 
patterns and knowing when to pull those patterns together is the skill. So you, you mature the, the discipline to something else. We are very good as a research um, discipline to figure out those kinds of things, the needs of what patterns to pull together. So I think we're set, our, set for good success. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's, maybe we should leave it on that uh, wonderful right. high note mm -hmm. uh, and, and thinking about the success that we'll continue to have as a discipline. So thanks very much. It's a wonderful conversation. I, Absolutely. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Dollars to Donuts. Thanks again, sponsors, the Pinterest research team who work with designers, engineers, and everyone in between to build the world's most inspiring catalog of ideas. Airbnb's experience research team, making authentic local experiences possible anywhere in the world. And Balsamic, the maker of mock-ups, the rapid wireframing software that combines the simplicity of paper sketching with the power of a digital tool. Our theme music was written and performed by Bruce Todd. You can find links for this episode, read the transcript, check out other episodes, and subscribe at portugal.com slash podcast. I'm biased when I recommend that you buy interviewing users, but researchers are good at managing bias, right? So go ahead, buy it from Amazon or from Rosenfeld Media, and get in touch with me at portugal.com, and let's start exploring how we can work together.